0: good after two. It ain't after two yet. What time is it? I'm being like
1: Jay. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12. Starting at verse 13. Proverbs chapter 12. We starting at verse 13. When you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name
0: of Jesus, God, we thank you for being God and just for allowing us to know that. Help us to never take you for granted, God, to always be thankful to you, God, to focus on you at all times, even now in this moment. God, allow us to hear you and hear your voice clearly. Guide us and instruct us and make us to live the things that we read. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in Proverbs chapter 12, starting in verse 13. And once again, we can have a good little section about the tongue and what we do with our mouth. And we see that this is a key part to the whole book. So that's if we learn some about how you post talk, what you are supposed to be talking like. Chapter 12, verse 13 says, the wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of trouble. So the wicked, the evil man who does stray, say he is snared or he is trapped. He is caught up by the transgression of his lips. So when a wicked man uses his mouth wrongly, that's the thing that that traps him. So a wicked man is snared by the transgressions of his lips. But a righteous man, uh, uh, but a just man, a righteous man shall come out of trouble. So a righteous man escapes trouble, while a righteous man, uh, a wicked man is trapped by the words of his mouth. Yeah, the old folks done told you that before. Your words are down that mouth, we're gonna get you in trouble. And that's what Solomon's saying right here. Their mouth is what get the wicked in trouble. They're caught, they're trapped, they're snared by the, their mouth. But a just man, a righteous man, he's delivered out of trouble. And that trouble there is a tight situation. So when things are getting crazy, when, when they're in a tight moment, a tense situation, the righteous man know how to get out of tense situations. While in tense situations, the wicked man gonna be caught up just by the things he said. Your mouth gonna get him in trouble. Verse 14. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. And the recompense of a man's hand shall be rendered unto him. A man shall be satisfied with good. So it's possible here for you to receive good and to receive that which satisfies you by the fruit of your mouth. So your mouth has the ability to produce things that can satisfy you or bring good into your life just by what you're saying. And the contrast he gives here, said, but, and the recompense of a man's hand as a continuation is that not just the things that we do, we are justified by. The recompense of a man's hand means the reward that you get for the deeds that you do with your hands. So your works are going to be rewarded. And part of your works being rewarded is you receiving good from the fruit of your mouth. So we're going to be judged and there's reward that comes from what we do and our mouth is a big part of that. Jesus picks up on the same theme when he says that by your mouth shall you be justified or by your mouth shall you be condemned. I think that's Matthew chapter 11. Like we shall give an account of every idle word that comes out of our mouths. And here he's saying you have the ability to bring good into your life just by the way that you use your mouth and everything that you do in your body going to be rewarded. There's a reward that shall come from it. Verse 15 said, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. That's a heavy one of those key proverbs that get repeated a couple of different ways. So the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. So a fool's pattern of life, the way that he live his life, when he think about it, he doing right. That's the deception of the foolish man. In his own eyes, he right. You can't tell him nothing other than what he is doing is right. So he has the ability to justify his actions and can't nobody tell him any other thing different. And that's why the contrast is he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. So the person that listen to counsel, the person that has an idea, has a perception in his own heart, in his own mind, but can hear other people, that's the wise person. While a fool persists in his own way because in his own mind, he's right. He can't see the error of his own way. And We all have talked to some of those people. And when you try and explain to them or show them they're wrong, they're like, see, what you don't understand is, oh uh, you didn't think about what they did. See, see uh, if you, if you would have been there, that's the fool who was right in their own eyes. And they can't conceive of themselves being anything other than right. But a wise man can have a way, can have an opinion, but still have the ability to listen unto wise people, to listen unto wise counsel, to be corrected, even though he think that in himself he's okay. In 16, a fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man cover shame. So a fool's wrath. So the anger of a fool, the the, the disturbance, the unsettlement of a fool, him, him being discontent on the inside, him being mad says so presently known. His is revealed. It's right before your face. And it's the idea that a fool does not have the ability to get upset without spewing it out. Every time a fool get upset, he gonna make you know that he upset. He gonna tell you, to you he upset. He gonna tell you what you did wrong. He gonna spew out hurt. His anger is going to be revealed. That's what a fool is going to do. His wrath it's presently known, but it says a prudent man, a man that has discernment, a man that is shrewd in the way that he lives, say so he covers shame, and it's the idea that the man that has discernment, the man that is shrewd about the way that he live life, the cunning, the crafted man, he has the ability to navigate life and hide shame or disrespect or hide contempt and not allow those things to just be spewed. So it's the, it's it's an idea of control. A fool cannot control his anger; he lashes out. But a prudent man knows how to navigate and when to pull it back and to cover up. Sometimes when contempt or when shame or or, or hurtful or or crazy things come about, he don't have to respond immediately. He has that ability to to pull it back. And if we keep this in with the flow of the Proverbs that is clustered with, it can come to the connotation of the idea of the mouth. Of a foolish man has to say something. He has to make it known. He has to respond. While a prudent man know how to pull it back. Know how to hold his peace. Know how to be disturbed, be to move, be moved on the inside, but don't sin as the Psalms say. Uh, as Paul quotes and he goes on and he keeps focusing on his mouth he said he that speaketh truth sheweth forth righteousness but a false witness deceit so the one that tells the truth that's the one that's demonstrating righteousness so when you speak truth you're showing righteousness you're revealing it you're demonstrating it you're putting it on blast so if you want to show people righteousness tell the truth and the contrast is that a false witness, he demonstrates deceit. He shows lying. He shows the deception. So one is demonstrating righteousness and the other one is demonstrating deception. But the thing that determines which one you're doing is how the way that you speak. So a righteous man tells the truth because he's demonstrating righteousness. He reveals. A wicked man speaks lies because he's full of deceit. He reveals deception. So that's what We have to be conscious of our tongue, the way that we use it, the way that we control it. It tells us a lot about ourselves and it has the ability to make an impact on our lives. And we're going to be rewarded about the way that we use it. Verse 18 said, there is that that speak it like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. So there's someone there is that. What do you mean? There's somebody whose speech is like the piercing of a sword. What that means is when they use their tongue, they have the ability to hurt, to inflict pain, to scar, to wound by their words. So there's some people who can use their words to scar, to hurt, to wound, that when they say what they say is hurtful and it impacts you in a negative way. But the contrast of it is that the tongue of the wise is health. The tongue of the wise, the tongue of the wise man have the ability to heal, have the ability to console, have the ability to bring a bomb or ease to a situation. So if your tongue, if the way you use your mouth only brings hurt, you're not wise. If you only scar people with your responses, you're not wise. But a wise man has the ability, and if we connect this all the way back to where we start, when you're in a tight situation, when you're in a troublesome situation, you can use your tongue to produce health. You can use your tongue to, to ease a situation. You can reduce your tongue and the way that you do it can hide shame, to hide contempt, so that only peace comes from a situation. But the foolish person, scar, they hurt, they tear down, they abuse people. With their mouths. And I can't read this without thinking about the home. The family situation. Parents with children. Husbands with wives. Your words should bring health to your home. You shouldn't always. Inflict pain by your words. And there should be some peace. Or balm that you show. By the way that you speak. If your words only scar. You're a foolish man. Verse 19 said, the lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So those who speak your truth, the words that they speak, their lips, they themselves, going to be set up for forever. You're going to always be the truthful person will endure. But the lying tongue is but for a moment. It's coming a time. It's coming to an end. It's a brief thing. That's a repet- another one of them repetitive things. That judgment comes to the lying tongue and you're going to be snatched out. 20 deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil so the people who conceive of evil thoughts bad thoughts malicious thoughts the deceit is in their heart so if your mind always plotting up and thinking about evil malicious things the way to hurt the way to get over deceit is in your heart trickery deception that's what's inside of you but the counselors of peace is joy those who come alongside of people and bring about and seek peace. So counselors of peace, counselors who come to bring peace, joy is the thing that's, that that overflows in them or that overflows from them. And it's the idea of what type of counselor, one, will you be or what type of counselor will you listen to? There's those who we talk to who their mind are twisted. So when they're giving us advice, deception is the device that they're giving. And it it's something that seems good, but in the end it bites, it stings, it hurts. But those those who have peace and have reconciliation in mind, and when they give the advice, if we take heed to it, joy is the outcome of it. Now, the easiest place I see this most time is in relationships. When you got a relationship and you listen to that person who who don't have a good relationship and all their relationship is bad and they be the one that want to give you advice, they can only see deception. So when you come to them with something, see he don't mean you no good yeah that's that's what about them all them are they all the same their mind imagining evil things so when they give you advice their dictates is based off this evil that's in their mind what shows you the end result of it is going to be deception it might sound good it might sound nice but based off the evil that's in them the, the evil conceptions that they have it end up being deceitful but there are some who can hear it and their counsel is a peace when they come into a situation, they're trying to bring wholeness. They're trying to bring help. That's looking for reconciliation. So when they give you advice, if it's heated, the end result is joy, because that's what's the center of their heart: wholeness and peace. So the son that are gonna come along and tell you what you need to do to get rid of them, and there's other that are gonna come along and tell you how you need to endure in this situation, how you need to overcome in this situation to bring about wholeness, peace, reconciliation. And that's the, a demarcation of what type of counselor we listening to. Some folks, their minds are messed up. You can't ask them that. They've been mistreated. They've been cheated on. They've been a whole bunch of things. You know what I'm saying, folks that don't know nothing about money, they've been broke, Oh, everybody, then they won't tell you what you need to do, baby. See, I see what you're doing. You got your job and all that little stuff. Then you ain't never made nothing. You ain't never been the owner of any business. Now you can tell me how to run one. The only thing you did was on student and you messed the whole school up <laughs> they want to give you advice so those ones you have to be weary of those type of counselors verse 21 said there shall no evil happen to the just but the wicked shall be filled with mission It said there shall no evil happen to the just and that evil is an overcoming of destruction so it's the one that being you just you overcome with destruction it's like that's not going to happen to the just or the righteous man but the wicked shall be filled with mischief bad things evil little little, little pestering misfortunes all going to be filled in the life of the wicked so some are always going to be happening around the wicked but there's no overcoming of evil no full casting down no destruction of the just and we're going to expound on that in a little bit because he's going to say some else that seems contrary a couple more chapters and I bring that one back up verse 22 lying lips are abomination to the Lord but they that deal truly are his delight and this is the crux of this of this run lying lips are an abomination to the Lord but they that deal truly are his delight so the liars God hates them the liars God holds them in contempt the liars God loathes them but they that deal truly are his delight. And what he means by deal truly is in our in- interactions, they deal in a right manner. They deal in an upfront manner. They deal in a just manner. So they're they trying to do what's right. They're trying to say what's right. And it's contrasted to the liars. Who ain't who ain't just trying to do you right? They're just trying to speak and say what they want to say or what they believe is the thing that gets them over. They're lying. God hates those type of people. And that's why the life of the wicked is filled with it mischief and hardship because god is contrary to them so if you're a liar god hates you if you deal truly god takes delight in that the same thing we was talking about in 11 that a just weight is god's delight while a false weight he's holding it's an abomination to him the way that we deal with one another god takes notice to it and if you deal with people in a deceitful manner god hates that but if you upfront and you righteous with people, God delights in that. God takes pleasure in that. You make God smile when you deal rightly with people. So verse 23, a prudent man concealed knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. Now, that's a deep one. A prudent man, that's the shrewd man, the man who know how to navigate, the cunning man, the crafting man, said he concealed knowledge. So he has, he holds on to knowledge. He retains knowledge. But the heart of the fools proclaim their foolishness. The foolish man let it all out. The heart of the fools proclaim, what do they proclaim? Their foolishness. The foolish man has to speak, he's going to speak, and everything he's going to say is going to be his foolishness. While there's a prudent man, a crafty man, he has the ability to conceal knowledge. He can know some things and not let everything know he know. He can give you a little bit and pull it back. And this is something like, this make me think about an old coworker I had. He used to say this thing to the boys. When when they say something stupid, he had this one little, little one-liner. And his thing was, they'll never know. They would have never known. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. idea. It took them a minute to catch on had to tell him boy if you shut your mouth when nobody knows you stupid (laughs) and that's what he get a fool spews out his foolishness you can always discern a fool he gonna let you know you be around a fool long enough he gonna tell you but there's a wise man a man full with knowledge he has the ability to, to pull back to not put everything on display to be in the midst of the crowd and not have nothing to say But the fool, he got to let it know. And it's idea, we have to be conscious of what we do with our tongues. And here I I flip, skip 24 and go down to 25. Because they're just connecting and and they're running a cluster to me. So I skip 24, we're going to go back to it. And I jump to 25 because it clusters in with the other ones. It says, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. So heaviness, sorrow, grief, inside a man make his heart stoop or to bow down, it, it puts heaviness. He bends his heart. And that's just the idea of a sorrowful person. So heaviness in their heart has the ability to make them sorrowful, to, to put them in, the, in, in a state of grief, state of uh, just not feeling it today. But a good word maketh it the glad, talking about the heart. So if you can say the right word, a good word, a fitting word, a beneficial word, something that that's effective in the speech, it has the ability to gladden the heart. So you can take somebody from being down, from being heavy, from being depressed, and bring life and bring joy to their life just by the way that you use your tongue. And that's something to contemplate. So we have this picture that our tongue can be a sword, but it can also be something that produces health. That our tongue can bring good into our own lives, but it can also bring good into the lives of those who are around us. That when life is said and done, we shall be rewarded. We shall be granted to. And God looks at us in delight or in contempt, all based on what we do with our tongue. So this mouth and the way that we use it is a very important thing. And we have to be conscious of what we say, how we say it, how much control we have of our tongue. That's why James can make the statement. The man that can bridle his tongue is a perfect man, able to control his whole body. Because his tongue is a dangerous thing. And the way that we use it can be something beautiful, bring joy, bring life, can make God smile. Or it can be something that hurts, destroy, bring judgment, and make God hate you. So how many people think we need to watch what we do with our tongue? That's a very important thing. That's something we're not too conscious of. Now we're going to go from 24 then 26 through 27 talking about how we work. Verse 24 said the hand of the diligent shall bear rule but the slothful shall be under tribute. We got the diligent man back again. So the hand, the work of a diligent man what the diligent man can do, his skills his ability, he shall bear rule. So he's going to be on top because of the way that he works. So the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. There's a freedom There's a power to the diligent that's not for the slothful man because the slothful man shall be under tribute. And it's the idea that the slothful man is always going to be obligated to somebody else. Under tribute is another way of saying he he owes taxes. So the lazy man, he's always going to be under obligation to somebody else. There's always going to be somebody who controls the life, who controls the movements, controls the motions of a slothful man. So the lazy man puts himself in, in subjection because he won't do what is necessary to find freedom. But the diligent man, he shall bear rule. It's ideal I always. Like we talked about last week, when you think about in high school, the one who bought their business, doing what they're supposed to do, making the sacrifices, focusing on their grind and their work, they usually be the ones that when we get 25, 30, 35, 40, they the bosses, why the cool kids, who slopped off, who parted, who just chilled out, played video games, whatever it was they did. Most times, them the ones that gonna be asking the other one for a job. Them the ones that gonna be seeking the, the, the favor of the other one. And so we have to be willing to do the work that's done. And if you're a hard worker, if you're a diligent worker, you rise. But the lazy man, you always gonna owe somebody. Verse 26. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. Uh oh, we're not supposed to say that in church. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbors. So the righteous man excels or exceeds, is more noble, is more worthy of praise than his neighbor. I thought well, ain't nobody better than nobody else. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. But then he has this little contrast in that said, but the way of the wicked seduces them. So the righteous is more excellent. The righteous excels. The righteous goes beyond. He's better than his neighbor. But the way of the wicked draws or seduces them. And now the, the funny part in this one, the way it's constructed, I was looking at it, the way he says it. We got two conclusions that we can reach from it. I let y'all wrestle over it and pray from it. When it talks about the way of the wicked seduces them, the question is, who is the them of throwback to? So, do the way of the wicked seduce the wicked, or do the way of the wicked seduce the righteous? And I can see both of them as being true because what it mean, what it could mean, by the way of the wicked seduces them. That there's a righteous man who far he excels, he's better, but the wicked man is drawn out by his pattern of life. It, it, It pulls him farther, farther in into his way. There's a compulsion to live in this wicked lifestyle that increases the desire to be that. But there are also a sense in which there's a pattern of life of the wicked that can seduce the righteous man even though he's better than him. And it's the, the appeal of you having something that the wicked is less than, but the wicked living in a manner that draws our eye. And this is a common warning from the proverb that we can see the prosperity of the wicked. We can see the quote unquote fun of the wicked. And it's something that can pull, pull us from our more, more excellent position. It has the ability to seduce. It has the ability to draw and it has the ability to make us want to be something other than that more excellent thing. And one of the, the sort of ways that it do so, because it's easy, you know what I'm saying we we church, we say like, man, I don't want to be out there doing this and doing that. And we can see and we say we don't want the lifestyle. But one way we can be drawn into the lifestyle is born in the outcome of the lifestyle of the week. So we can watch their Facebook page and we can see their fun. We don't want to do what they're doing, but we want to have what they have. And we get drawn into something just off the appearance of fun. Or you can be the hardworking one and doing your thing, but you know what I'm saying? You got other folks around you. They got big cars and they got big houses and they got all these other things. You don't want to do what they're doing, but you want the things that they have. But if that desire gets inside of you, it can pull you into a place where you're willing to do what they do. There's the way of a wicked and it has the ability to draw. Saying when you see your homegirl having fun and they oh, doing
1: all the things we out. we lie and you at home boy. Watching documentaries. (laughs) And it has the ability to seduce.
0: It has the ability to draw. And if you allow that seducing to take place, you will want the way of the wicked. Because you're just seeking the desires of it and you take for granted the more excellent way that you have. Y'all see what I'm saying now? The way of the right, We're more righteous. We, We are more noble. There's more honor in the righteous. But if we allow our minds to get zoned in, we can be taken by the trappings of the wicked. So don't don't let the wicked man pull you in with his seducing ways. Verse 27, got a slothful man again. The slothful man roasted not that which he took in honey, but the substance of the diligent man is precious. Now, this is one that on the surface, it don't seem like the slothful man, at least not our concept conception of the slothful man. Said so the slothful man, he went hunting, y'all. When we think of lazy man, lazy people don't go hunting. That's activity. He got up and he did something. But he said he don't roast that which he took in hunting. That means he didn't he, he went out there, he shot a buck, he drug it home, but he didn't cook it. He went out there, he went fishing, pulled four or five bass up out of there, but he ain't skinned now one of them. Ain't for laying out a one. Left him out there on the back porch in the cool. And it gives the picture of the slothful man here is not one, just one that's willing to work, but one who doesn't take care of the things that he has worked for and he don't treat them the way they need to be treated, and also one who does not finish a task. He starts, he does, then he lets it neglect, he lets it go he lets it fall by the wayside he don't take care of it in the contrast it says the substance of the diligent is precious so the things that the diligent has they are precious to him he cares for them he used them in a manner that is consistent to get the most out of them the diligent is willing to use his stuff and do what needs to be done to get the fullness out of what he has why the slothful man has some good things, but he just don't take no care of it. He don't use it to the full. He just allow it to sit. And he allow it to go. He allow it to waste. And he doesn't get all that he could out of it because he can start with it and stop.
1: He can begin and he get bored. Or he just don't care about it. It's new for a minute.
0: It's good, it's fresh, it's new, you got it, it's fun, and you do it a day or two, then it's old now. Nah, I will not want to do that. And that's, he qualifies him as a slothful man. The one that can get amped up and go out and do something but can't come back and finish the task. And the contrast is that the one that can get amped up and go out and do something and take care of the thing that he pulled on, that if he got something, he, he treated the way that it needs to be treated. He used it to get the most out of it. His substance is precious. It's a valuable thing to him.
1: Sloth a man don't care nothing about nothing. He tear up all his stuff. It just ain't no good. In
0: the way of righteousness is life. And in the pathway thereof, there is no death. So in the way of righteousness, the way of life that is righteous, life is there. So with the pattern of the righteous, that's life. And there is no death. So there's no death when we're walking in righteousness.
1: In the word of the um, um, poet in the early 2000s, we're going to live forever. Verse 13, I mean, chapter 13 said, a wise man heareth his father's
0: instructions. So we got a wise man. He hears his father's instruction. He takes heed to the guidance of his father. But a scorner heareth not rebuke. So those who scorn those who scoff those who mock the prideful will be another position over that those who boast they self others they don't hear rebuke you cannot correct them they don't listen they hard-headed and this is going to be the springboard for these next six verses or so it says verse two a man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth but the troll the soul of the transgressors shall eat violence a man shall eat good by the fruit of his what his mouth. Once again, what you do with your mouth has an effect on what you do with your life. A oh, man shall eat good. He shall eat that which is pleasant. He shall eat that which is beneficial and it shall come from the fruit of his mouth. So you're going to take in, you're going to receive reward by what you do with your mouth. But the soul of the transgressors, so we got the lips of the mouth of one contrasted with the soul of the transgressor. So your whole life can be summed up with your mouth. The soul of the transgressor, what you're going to get in your soul, in your body, in your nephesh, is violence. That's destruction. That's hardship, oppression. That's what's come to the transgressor. And the transgressor is the one who is stubborn, the one who rebels, the one who goes against the commandments. So with this contrasted with the mouth, it gives us a picture of verse one. That there are those who hear, who take heed, and there are those who, at the old folks, they gotta talk back. The transgressor, the one who rebels, who, who, who gotta say something. And they say something in opposition to the instructions given. Those who rebel against the commandment, those are the ones that are gonna eat violence. They're gonna eat hardship. Those are the ones that destruction is gonna come to them. But our mouth has an effect on our whole life. Then the four, verse four, the soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. It's one that I heard every time I read. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fast. So the soul of the sluggard, so we got the slugger here again. In his soul, his life, he desires. That means he got big dreams and expectations. He he wants some stuff. He he longing. The brother, you know I'm saying, he, he filled up with ideas. But he don't have nothing. Ideas and desires is all he got.
1: Big dreams, big plans. Some of you got notebooks with, with business plans in them, but ain't got no business. That's the sluggard. So here we get a position of a sluggard as being what
0: we refer to as a daydreamer. One who have desire, have hopes, have wishes, but ain't doing nothing. And it says that person gonna have nothing. So we got a slugger as an inconsistent man, the procrastinator, the one who starts something and won't finish it. And now we got a slugger as the daydreamer, the one who has big dreams, big hopes, big expectations. Like I said, the one who gonna start a car wash, a museum. I'm saying he, he, he gonna do it all. He gonna be downtown giving tours to all the people because he read a book about the history of Alabama. And so he's
1: he going to take you on to some new places and do all that stuff. But he ain't going to have none, because he ain't going to do none of that stuff. And the contrast
0: is the diligent, he shall be made fat. So the diligent is the one, in contrast to the slothful man, he got dreams, but he's willing to act on the things that he hoped for. He's willing to put feet and action behind what he got going on. So he's the active daydreamer. He come up with a plan and he's trying to figure out how he going to pull it off. While the daydreamer just come up with a plan. And that's the contrast of the diligent versus the slothful. One can got good dreams, big dreams, fancy dreams, but ain't going to do nothing. The other one got all them same dreams, but he going to increase. He going to be better off. He going to get rich. It said he going to be fat. It sounds just like what it said. He going to get big. bro going to blow up. Why? Cause he gonna work
1: and do those plans. Why the other ones just gonna be dreaming about. Verse 5 said, a righteous man hated lying. That's a deep one. A righteous man hated lying. Do you think that means a righteous man hate doing lying or hate being lied to? Huh, what'd you say? Think he hate both of them? Doing lying and being lied to? So he ain't like when people are, man, I can't
0: stand when four lie to me, but then they be lying like what? <laughs> so the righteous man hated lying. So the righteous and lying, they don't mix. He hates it. He loathes it. It's something that he get upset at, lying, which would be, if you really hate it, you will not do it. So the righteous hate lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and coming to shame. Now that's deep. That word loathsome there is could be in the, in, the, in the New Street Translation, a wicked man
1: stank, and don't nobody want to be round him. <laughs> that's loathsome. And he don't, don't nobody want to be round him. He, he gives
0: off a foul odor. And he coming to shame. And he coming to a place where he's disgraced, where he's held in contempt. But the righteous man, he hated lying lips. And this could be connected with the idea, how does that man that's loathsome come to shame? Because he be lying. And he get caught up in a lie. And people can't stand him. Because they know he ain't nothing but a lie. You want them people like. How I know
1: you lying. You talking. <laughs> Don't nobody want to be around. Verse 6
0: said. Righteousness keepeth him that is upright in the way. But wickedness overthroweth the sinner. So righteousness. Has the ability to preserve those who are upright so if you standing up straight if you have some integrity if you bought your business righteousness can keep you so there's a preserving aspect to righteousness that righteousness is something that can head you in it can keep you on the path but the sinner is overthrown he's cast down he's knocked off he's snatched out of the way by his wickedness so the wickedness that's inside of the sinner, that's the thing that moves him off the path. That's the thing that casts him down from life. The righteousness that's inside the upright man, that's the thing that keeps him on. So if you're standing on the path, if you're going in the right way, it's because righteousness preserves you. If you're getting off the path, if you're lying and you're doing things and you're hurtful with your lips, it's because there's some wickedness inside of you. And the one overthrows while one keeps. But righteousness has a preserving power To keep us in the way, to keep us in the path, to keep us going on the way that we're supposed to go. Y'all, y'all, y'all tracking with me. Verse seven said, there is that, I'm going to help y'all. Y'all going to have to speak on this. Help me out. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. And there is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. So now when you hear that, what comes in your mind? Anybody? There is that maketh himself rich. Yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor. Yet hath great riches. What
1: comes in your mind when you hear that? Somebody. Go ahead. Okay. So you think making themselves rich. But
0: so they get a whole lot of money. They get, do a whole lot of things. Get a whole lot of life. But when it all comes down to it. When it comes to the true stuff about life. they poor. That's what you're saying. Okay. What you think? Somebody else. Give me one. When you read that. What comes to mind?
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. I have dissatisfied with life. All right. What you have? Baby? Okay. Okay. It's okay, bro, you gonna be the, the 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 breaker? Which one of them is right? <laughs> Go. You got one more. Go ahead. Okay. That's it. And the reason I asked that one, because this is one I, I
0: bounced back and forth a little bit with, with it, because it's open. Because when I first read it, my mind went there, like, the one that maketh himself rich, in the sense of he hoarding, like the, like you talk about, the guy that had to build the great bonds and make sure he controlled everything. But him doing that, Puts him in a place where he ain't really got none. He ends up poor at the end of all that whore and all that storing up. He ends up poor. Then the opposite is that's there to make himself poor. He's giving away everything. He's taking from himself and giving it all the way out. But that's the one that increases riches. That's the way my mind first went with it. Then I thought about it and looked at it another time. I'm like, could it be talking about the one who, like y'all talked about, who pulled in riches to himself? And he get this front, he lives a life, and he got all the biggest, and he got all the baddest, and, and everything that we could want in life, but he broke. He has nothing. Saying he got the fanciest cars, he got the biggest house, and he got all that stuff, but when the, 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 the light bill go up in the summertime, he gotta call their mama like, my mama. <laughs> Can I get a hundred dollars? If, if if the government go into furlough and his check get by boy boy, he, he ready to commit suicide because he got all this stuff but he ain't got nothing he's still living from
1: from check to check month to month go ahead yeah yeah that's what Zora was getting to
0: folks got all the stuff but when it all really pumped down to the true values of life they ain't got nothing and it's one of the ones ambiguous that I really can't pinpoint. And I can see both of them. The giver becoming rich, making himself poor, as in taking from himself and giving to everybody. And by doing that, he makes himself rich. And the one makes himself rich because he only gives into himself and he whores up. And in the end of it, he ain't got nothing. Or the one who makes himself rich, as in puts himself up as rich. That he makes himself rich in the eyes of people. He he, he puts up stuff. He put it on the front. He get all the stuff, but when the ball down to like Evans, he ain't got nothing for real. He poor. He got a negative net worth. He owe everybody. Everything he got belongs to somebody else. He slick Rick with the with, with, with the rented fur and the loaned out Rolls Royce. You know what I'm saying, he look good like he balling, but really he ain't got nothing. And there's the other one who lived like he ain't got nothing. And in the eyes of the folks, he makes himself poor. He put on like he he drive the beater. I'm saying he he wear the shoe that he had for the last ten years, and long they still got a soul on him. He good, but in the end of it, he that's the one that that rich. And so I can see both of them there, and it's one just to flip around and to wrestle with, and to go back and forth in your mind till it settles. And I try to connect it with what's around it. You had some, you know, yeah, but. In the giving away, he hath great riches. So there's a sense in what you can give it away. You can make yourself poor. And by doing so, you make yourself rich. And it's an idea that he talks about elsewhere in Proverbs. When we talks about it, I think last week or a couple weeks ago, he we said, there's the one that scatters. But yet, he he has more. And it's the idea of he giving it away so it don't seem like he should have any seed, but he got more seed than the other person. And there's a sense in where he's, he's benevolent. He's making him, he's robbing himself. But in robbing himself, he's making himself rich. Because there's a reciprocity that goes on. world like Ebony talked about, those who give to the poor, lends unto God, and he shall surely repay. So that's one way to, to, to wrestle with it. So is it talking about the riches in the sense of making yourself look rich? Or is it talking about the riches in the sense of hoarding? Talking about poverty and making yourself a pure part, living in a poor man's state, And having great riches. Or is it talking about putting your stuff out there. Robbing yourself for the benefit of others. And still getting it. It it sways both ways. But if we try to connect it with this one. It it don't help a whole lot. But it can sway your mind probably. And verse 8. It says the ransom of a man's life are his riches. But the poor hear it not rebuke. So the, The ransom of a man's life are his riches. But the poor hear it not rebuke. And this is one. I had to read and pray over a couple of times. The ransom of a man's life. A ransom is that's what you give in exchange for. So it's the ability for you to to trade your life for something. And here it says the ransom of a man's life or his riches. And I can't help but read it in the context of those who are being harassed, those who are being robbed, somebody who's being kidnapped, taken advantage of, somebody threatening to kill you. And you can give up your what you have, your riches, in exchange for your life. So when the man pull up on you and he pull the gun out, you say, "Here, sir, have it all." And you you escape your life through that. When when the, when the vandals come in through the town and they tan all everything up, and you say, "Hey, hey, 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 y'all can have everything. You have, man, y'all <laughs> y'all you're good. What what you need? You need some water. Like right, we got it. Everything you got." And it's this sense of that riches can has the ability to put you in a predicament where it can risk your life because the contrast is but the poor he it not rebuke so there's a the poor that ain't nobody coming after him there's the poor man that ain't nobody trying to take anything from him there's a poor man that ain't nobody trying to 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 get from him but riches although it seems to seem, seems there's blessing to it and there's benefit to it now, later he's going to talk about the, the poverty of the poor In the hardship of being poor, there's a bless, there's a curse to it. And where you become more of a target when you have more,
1: folks come after you. Like I said, the 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 joker who ain't got nothing, who um just barely making it,
0: he ain't got to worry about nobody. Like I said earlier, the dude riding around in the datsun ain't got to worry about nobody jumping in at the gas station when he get out to go get gas. we got the beetle, he got to put the code in to open the door up. Like he said, he got the tape all around there to keep the windows and all that. He can go, get gas, shop in the store, leave his door open, leave his car open and all that
1: good stuff. Ain't nobody going to pull off in their car. But the man with the Bentley Benz or Beamer, he can't do that. Somebody going to try to take what he got. Verse nine said, "The light of the
0: righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out." The light of the righteous—that's the illumination, the the, the 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 true life that's inside of the righteous. That light, what is it? The light of the righteous rejoiceth. So the illumination of the righteous, the the light that dwells within the righteous, it produces joy. It enlightens. It, it lifts up. It creates an atmosphere of rejoicing, and rejoicing. That's the light that's inside of the righteous. That light is the illumination of the the, the true life that dwells inside of them. The light of the soul. That produces joy. It produces rejoicing inside of them. But the contrast is the lamp of the wicked, it shall be put out. So there's a lamp, a light inside the wicked and it's going to be snuffed. It ain't going to last. But the light of the righteous is going to produce joy. And it keeps on rejoicing. And, and, and there's a continuous joy that flows from the inside of the righteous man. While there's a snuffing that happens to the lamp of the wicked. and I can't think about it just visually getting the concept. Although You see the old movies when they had the candles. And the man lick his fingers and whoo, put, the, put the flame out.
1: Yes. That's what God going to do to the lamp of the wicked. And over with. On to the next one. Verse 10
0: said, only by pride come it contention. I'm going to read that one again. Only by pride come it contention. I'm going to read that one again. Only by pride come it contention. So if there's tension, if there's fighting, if there's a struggle, if
1: there's all that stuff. Couldn't think of no other words. Got to increase my vocabulary.
0: If there's any of that, He's saying pride is there. It's like only by pride come a contention. People only get into fights. People only get into disagreements by pride. When, when Joker ready to get down some pride somewhere in there. When you walk in the house and, and you got doors slamming and all this other foolishness and you
1: better sleep on the couch and you better go to your mama house. Pride is there. Only by pride come a contention. When the sister is ready to snatch the other sister's fro out and want to drag them across, there's some pride in there. When the brother
0: wants to take the sister's dolls and throw them, swing them across the room and out of his room and all that, pride is there. So only by pride comes contention. So if there's contention going on, somebody's being prideful. That's why the great apostle of this house makes the statement, and I, I agree with it. Two Christians ain't never got a divorce. Somebody got to be caught up in pride. Two people walking in the spirit ain't never separated ways in the sense that we're fighting in there. We can't be together. You ain't my friend no more.
1: Pride produces contention. But then he adds this little thing. He said, um, but with
0: the well advised, there is wisdom. So when those who have really been schooled in the way of life, with the well-advised, those who have been taught well about life, wisdom is there. And it's the idea of you know how to navigate contentious situations without aggravating them or exacerbating them, making them worse. With the well-advised, with those who have really been trained in the way of life, with those who truly understand life in a whole, they know how to navigate contentious situations without increasing tension. But when there's pride there, fighting going on. And it's also let us know that with the well-advised, there is no pride. He has the ability to be humble. And he can navigate in a way that does not increase tension, that does not increase a fight, that don't just make it go on and on. You can navigate. If there's fighting, if there's disagreements, if we, if we throw and blow, if we ready, if you got a partner and you got to pull up your pants, Somebody being proud. <laughs> wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gather it by labor shall increase. So wealth gotten by vanity. So the people who get rich off emptiness or uselessness, vain ways, and most of the time when it comes easy to you. We mostly see that through inheritances, through lottery winning, through I'm saying folks coming up with schemes he said their wealth shall be diminished it's going to decrease so when you get wealth through ease it decreases
1: but those who get it through labor they shall increase so if you get it by vanity
0: it diminishes if you get it by labor by working for it then it shall increase and this is a concept we need to keep in mind especially when we, when we uh, training up the younger ones uh, no, don't get them on a hunt for easy money, but it also don't give them everything that they hard desire because wealth gotten by vanity,
1: it diminishes. And we know all the same folks who parents set them all the way up in life and they ain't never had to worry about a thing and it'd be the ruin of them
0: because they don't know how to live and how to navigate. And those who work for it and work hard for it, you end up taking care of it to a greater degree. It means more to you when you work to get it. And so those who get increased by labor, who get wealth by labor, they increase they, their, their wealth. But You just give it to them, Most chances are they going to waste it. they going to go to ruin. They're going to spend it, it all up. Verse 12. This is uh, one of my favorite proverbs here. It said, Hope deferred, make it the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred, make it the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. And it's the idea of when you have aspirations, when you have expectations and they're frustrated, they're not met, that can produce a grief or a heaviness on a person just by sending them into a depression. So hope deferred, make it the heart sick. And this is one of the ones that we need to keep in mind, especially like Cabronica. I'm going to pick on her because I picked on her last time. It's one special, young couples need to notice. Like When you're going in, get all the expectations out on the table. Because hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it's a dangerous thing when you enter into a mutual relationship where you have expectations. That's not known. Because if they're not met, it creates sadness, it creates hardships. I'll give you an example. So when you when you find the one that you that you're ready to to, to commit, and he's gonna be there for life, one well, first thing you need to do is get it all out on the table. Everything you expect from him as a man, and everything you expect your life to be as a wife, because we got different ethnicities. And we all come from different cultures. Yes, I must keep using that word like that. <laughs> we all have different ethnicities. Even the people who look like you have a different ethnicity than you. Ask my wife. We have different ethnicities. The world we grew up in, are night and day, when she came to live in this world with me, it was a culture shock. When you hear the word Easter clothes, And she hear my niece and them talking about they getting their Easter clothes and they talking about J's and blue jeans and T-shirts and going to the parks. Like, what is that? Them ain't Easter clothes. (laughs) Because in her ethnicity, Easter clothes is a suit and a nice dress. And you get up early and you go to church. But in the ethnicity of my nieces and nephews, Easter clothes is some J's, Whatever new ones that come out before Easter. That's Easter clothes. I smell force warrants different ethnicities so when you got different ethnicities coming together you have different expectations and anticipations of what a relationship gonna be like so when you're talking to that joker the very first time y'all see her on the phone you say hey what you expect a wife to be in the minute he say that you gonna cook every day and you gonna clean the house top to bottom every single day and if i see a dust bunny i might lose it you leave that joke. <laughs> when I come home, you're gonna have a plate
1: in my lap and you're gonna rub my feet. <laughs> is that is his expectation. Now if you're down with that, that's fine.
0: But you ain't down with it, you better leave. Because hope deferred making the heart sick. Now the moment he had them expectation, he realized. That you come home and you throw your clothes on the floor until it's time for you to wash. That can make a brother hard. <laughs> <laughs> so get that, get all that stuff out the way. From the, from the we ain't even got time for niceties. Hey, how you doing? with your name? What do you think a woman would be? And once he answers that question, all right, I let you, bro. Don't worry about it. I got my own ride. <laughs> we can stop now like, waiter this date is over with you don't need to take our order. <laughs> pick up a sandwich on the way home we good <laughs> but when a desire cometh, it is a tree of life so if you got an expectation and it, and it is met that's a tree of life it, it, it brings just satisfaction to the soul when they don't get it, it can make you sick. When it does come, it can produce life and bring uplifting. And I, like I said, that's a basic life principle to keep in mind. Hope deferred, make it the heart sick. That's why you're going to be promising folks stuff. Now, you can create angst inside of people. You can make, go around here making all these promises because some folks going to believe you. And when you don't, then they might hate you at the end of it. Call hurt before, hurt deferred, make it the heart sick. Verse 13 said who does, whoso despises the word shall be destroyed. So the one that holds the word in contempt, the one that don't like the word, he hate it. they shall be destroyed. And here he tells us what he mean by the word, not just any old word because he contrasted with, but he that feared the commandment shall be rewarded. So the word that he's talking about is the commandments, the principles of God, the, the instructions of God. So if you fear the commandment, You're going to be rewarded if you despise the commandment, if you hold the commandment in contempt, if you're willing to go against the commandment, that's the person that's going to be destroyed. So our relationship to commandment demonstrates our relationship to destruction versus reward. Verse 14, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. That's a deep one. So the law of the wise, the principles laid down by the wise, the instructions of the wise, the teachings of the wise. said they are a fountain of life. So when the wise teach, this is a fountain of life. Life flows forth from them and they're giving you a wellspring of life. And what is that life flowing for? To depart from the snares of death. So the wise have the ability to teach and pour out life that can cause you to escape death. So we need to hear the instructions of the wise. Verse 15, good understanding, give it favor. But the way of the transgressor is hard. So the people that got a right understanding are good understanding. The people that understand that which is beneficial are understanding the way that is beneficial. Good understanding give it favor. That word favor that we will translate it today as grace. It's that, that willingness for somebody to help, that willingness for somebody to bend down and do good and to work on your behalf. So when you got good understanding, favor flows from that. But the way of the transgressor, the way who go of those who go against the law, the ways of those who do wrong, the ways of those who rebel, it is hard. It means there's some resistance to them. So one has one working with them. While the other one has one working in opposition to them, that sounds like James. God gives grace. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He's contrary to one, but He works in the favor of the other. So, if you are a transgressor, set that life hard. They're living that hard life. Verse sixteen: Every prudent man dealeth with knowledge, but a fool layeth open his folly. So, the prudent man, that 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 crafty man, he he deals with knowledge. That the way he deals, the way he relates, is based off what he knows. He's instructed, he's guided by knowledge. What he knows is the thing that, 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 that informs his dealings and his relationship. But there's a contrast to that, that a foolish man layeth open all his folly. I laid open his folly. But a foolish man, he just talked. And all the foolishness of his heart, he just let it spew. And this also can be taken in the contrast of so a foolish man layeth open all his folly, he just let it all go. This prudent man he only speaks about what he knows. That's the way he deals. He regulates his speech, he regulates his actions to his knowledge. Why the fool can just talk and he just let it all go. He he fills up with foolishness, folly, madness just flows out of his whole being. A wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador is health, and this is the idea when you send in somebody to do something for you. A wicked messenger. So when you got a messenger and they wicked, they're going to fall into mischief. They're going to get off the path. They're going to do something they ain't supposed to be doing. And stuff ain't going to be done the way it's supposed to be done. They're going to get distracted and caught up into all type of other stuff. But a faithful one, one who's trustworthy, he is health. There's there's a bomb that comes from when you send a faithful man on a journey. So when you got a faithful man and you send him to do something for you, that 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 brings satisfaction to you that brings health to you that it just it's an easing and a common thing and it's one i can't read this one without asking the question i challenge you to ask the question to yourself which one of these am i to god am i one of the ones that when god send me to do something i get off distracted like off into mischief, doing something i ain't got no business doing doing something that's contrary to sending the message I am I one of the ones that trust and embrace some satisfaction to God. I'm a faithful message. The one that when he know he give me a task, it's going to be done and there's health to it. That's something we come to play on and, and lay in and let God reveal where you stand to him. Say, God, am, am I that wicked or am I the faithful ambassador? Which one am I? I don't ask that question. If you're going to cry, if you get the answer. <laughs> Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honoured. So, the poverty, that's destruction, or hardship, or oppression, and shame, that's disgrace, shall be to the one that refuseth instruction. So, if can't nobody tell you anything, that's the end result: poverty and shame. Can't nobody lead you? Can't nobody guide you? Can't nobody correct you? You're gonna be end up being disgraced, disgraced, and come into a place where you lose whatever it is you have. That's that poverty, the destruction, gonna come. But if you regard reproof, that means when somebody corrects you, you pay attention to it, you shall be honored. So honor is going to be poured out upon you if you pay attention to reproof. If you cannot be instructed, poverty and shame. Verse 19, the desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is an abomination to depart. Is an abomination to fools to depart from evil. So the desire accomplished is sweet. So just think about this. When you have a goal and you achieve it, saying that it's pleasant. That's something that, that, that goes down into your being and it tastes good. It, it, it's a pleasant thing. So the desire accomplished is sweet. It's pleasant. When you got a goal, when you, when you, when you got a
1: desire, and you accomplish it. That's sweet. But he says. It is abomination
0: to fools to depart from, from evil. And the idea here is the contrast is. Knowing that reaching a goal brings sweetness and delightful things. It's the loathsomeness of fools. To doing good that stops them from achieving that goal. Because it's an abomination for fools to depart from evil. So if achieving the goal means leaving evil, the fool will not achieve the goal because he cannot depart from evil. It's an abomination to fools to depart from evil. Even though the the desire to accomplish is sweet. Like when you know something is is good, you know something is pleasant. Give the idea, like I said, it's an extreme idea, but just show your thought. It's like when you know you got a, a woman who's been beat by a man. She tells you she's tired of it. She ain't going to deal with that no more. She ain't going to put up with that no more. If she was to get free and not be beat anymore, that would be a sweet and a pleasant thing. But you can go and rescue her. You can go and take her out by a hotel and do all that other stuff. But because her heart cannot conceive a life apart from that man, it's an abomination for her to depart from evil. She'll never accomplish the goal. she end up right back in the place because she's not willing to do the thing that it takes or to depart from the thing that prohibits them from achieving the goal. And that's that principle there. You got the folks who are addicted to cigarettes. To be able to breathe easily and not die of lung cancer, that would be a sweet goal. But you have them folks with the little thing in their throat that they can't talk. They're talking to their voice box. But they're still going to light up a whole pack a day. Because it's an abomination to them to put down them cigarettes. They can't conceive of life apart from it. It's like, what? You want me to do who? And even though they have this desire to be cancer free. They have this desire to not be controlled by this thing. To keep their money in their pocket. They ain't going to reach it. Because they can't leave the cigarettes alone. Uh, You understand? Now you take that principle and apply it to your own life. And see what it applies. Well, you got some abomination that keep you from achieving the thing that's sweet. Hopefully we ain't got none. Verse 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So the person that walketh with wise men shall be wise. And here the picture is, is those who make friendships with wise men. And it's not just the idea of being around wise people. Like, if y'all walking downtown and you walking through the medium, and, and, and fools are around you, like, uh-oh, you better get out the medium and wait till the next light. It's the idea of those who you consider to be friends, those who are closest to you, those who are your companions, your compadres, the ones when it is a time of trouble, the ones when you need advice, them, that's who you call. If your best friend is a fool, you a fool. That's basically what it's saying. If you make companions, if you walk with wise men, that means you're in agreement with them. Y'all are friends. Y'all are companions. You shall be wise. But if your best friend is a foolish man, you're going to be destroyed. And that's why the fools are dangerous. Verse 21, evil pursueth sinners, but to the righteous good shall be repaid. So evil, hardship, calamity, destruction. That's what chases after sinners so evil just go around it follows them i'm saying the sinner's got a, a a a evil seeking meter missile behind them and whatsoever way they turn it it goes that same way but the righteous shall good be repaid but to the righteous person good that which is pleasant that which is beneficial that which is the way it's supposed to be that's what's going to be repaid to the righteous so the righteous get good that which is the way it's supposed to be that which functions properly that which is beneficial that's what the righteous get but the fools uh, the wicked got evil following around them a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children so a good man man who living life the way it's supposed to be lived that man that's the way he's supposed to function he lives an inheritance so there's something left back there's something that he pours out That has benefit all the way down to his grandchildren. His children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. The idea of this good man. He got something that he can store up and leave. an inheritance all the way down to his grandchildren. And on top of that. There's wealth gotten by the wicked. That's being stored up. Or that's being stored away for the righteous. So the good man is leaving in the inheritance, and the wicked is leaving in the inheritance. They taking what, ha- what the wicked has will be taken from them and given to the righteous. And what the good man has will be passed down to his children's children. So there's a continuation in the life of the good man, the one who living the life the way it's supposed to be lived, while there's a transition in the wealth of the wicked. He's storing up, he's working hard for somebody else to get it.
1: Canaanites build a great nation for Israel to live in it. That's the idea that is pictured there. Much food is in the tillage of the poor. So there's
0: abundance of food in the tillage. That's the working. So when the poor man is out there tilling his ground, when he's forming his land, much food is there. So when the poor works and produce, there's much food in the tillage of the poor. Said, but there is that that is destroyed for want of judgment. There is that that is destroyed for a lack of judgment. And this is another one that can cut two ways. And one of y'all can sit on it. So it's the idea of a poor man has the ability to work and to produce. And there's much food in that. But he can be brought to nothing because of lack of discernment or lack of judgment. His inability to discern between good and wrong. So he can destroy it for want of judgment. And as the second way to read it, and this is the one that I lean towards, is that the poor man has the ability to work and produce, and as much food in his tillage, but he can be destroyed because there is no judgment for him, in the sense that other people come to oppress him and take that which he has. And there is none to plead his call, there is none to defend him, and so what he has produced is taken away from him. So he is destroyed. He is oppressed. He is taken advantage of his things. His much food is destroyed because ain't nobody there to plead his cause. So he don't have a voice when it comes to judgment. So before want of judgment, because there is no justice for him. He is destroyed. And I read it both of those ways and you can play it. And I think it's open that way. That you destroy because you lack judgment in the sense that you don't know how to navigate life. There's no discernment in you. You get caught up in the wrong things and that can rob you. Or you lack judgment in the sense there is no judgment for you. That there's nobody to plead your call. There's nobody to stand and make a decision on your behalf. And that can lead you to destruction. Verse 24. Say he that spared the rod hated his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. So the one that spares the rod is the one that withholds the rod. And that's the rod of correction. So if you hold back discipline from your son, he said you hate him. If you're not willing to discipline your son or your child, you hate him. But he that loves his son, if you love your children, it says he chasteneth him betimes. Now that's a funny one. And most time when we read that, we think of it like he chasing him all the time. But that's not what it means. That B times could be he chastened it him early. And it's the idea of at the moment where it is necessary, that's where the chastening comes. So when your son need correcting, when your child need correcting, if you love him, you deal with it when it needs to be dealt with. And you don't put it off. If you put off correction, if you put off reproof, if you put off this rod of judgment, He's saying you hate your son. But if you're willing to step in and deal with it when it needs to be done, that's love. And this is one I have to think on because especially parents, as we get older and we grow on, there's this real deal that we deal with and it's called fatigue. You don't feel like dealing with that. And it's just like, ain't nobody dying. Ain't nobody killed nobody. So it is what it is. I deal with it later and later never come. And he's like, if you deal like that, you hate your son. And that's something we have to be conscious of and we have to fight through. When some need to be dealt with, let's deal with it. When some need to be corrected, let's correct it. And when some... When do you do it? When it needs to be done. That's what he chastened him betimes me, chasing him at the moment. When, 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 when correction comes. And it's the rod of correction there. Verse 25 said, The righteous eat it to the satisfying of his soul. But the belly of the wicked shall want I shall lack. So the righteous eat it. So the righteous take in, the righteous consumes to the point of satiation. So the righteous get to a point where they have what they have and they have enough. But the belly of the wicked shall want, it shall lack. It shall not be full. So there's a, a internal, a, a solistic tapeworm that the wicked got. And they cannot be satisfied. There is no fool, fullness for them. But the 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 righteous can have a place of contentment. They live a life and they can consume life to a point where they are at peace and there is a level of contentment. While the wicked is always one more. They never satisfy. Like I said, like the old wicked poet guy, Edmund told me his name. I, don't, I try not to remember wicked poets. They said, I can't get no satisfaction. And that's the idea here. There is no contentment. There is no place where everything is good for the wicked. They barely shall want. they always going to have desire. they always going to have a need. But the righteous man, he eateth to the satisfying of his soul. A righteous man can get to a place of content. You have one of them people where folks can say about you, you ain't never satisfied. And ain't nothing ain't ever good enough for you. You might be a wicked person. It's the one, like I said, we, we cook, we cook big meal on the fourth when we invite you over. Baked beans too runny. If we fix the baked beans, ain't enough cheese on the macaroni. Put enough cheese on the macaroni. Y'all got the sweet barbecue. I like my barbecue spicy. It was like just, ain't, ain't nothing ever right. Y'all got the cheap sodas. Why y'all drinking FAGO? We like Coke and Sprite. Not Mist and Red Pop. Cola. <laughs>
1: we can't afford that cola now price of groceries going up y'all anybody got any questions